Are we good? We're live. How you doing? My name is John. This is one of the ways that I use my education. I was trained as a pastor, and so one of the things I really enjoy to do, I really enjoy doing, is looking at some obscure passages, not even obscure ones, but maybe even famous ones from the Bible that maybe could use some fresh angles on it. And I don't mean fresh as in a brand new way, but um, I've had the good fortune of learning Greek and Hebrew. And I've always felt as though going to church meant that we were going to talk about the biggest and most important and most curious of topics. And so I don't know about you, but I've found myself getting really excited by hearing an ancient but orthodox view on a passage. So that's what we're going to do today. So thank you for checking this out. Hopefully you listened to the last one where I talked with uh, Reverend Dr. Debbie Watson. She said five Hebrew concepts that everyone should know. She is uh, an incredibly talented and knowledgeable person, but she's also just got you know, the, the good pastoral heart that everybody should have. She is at her core a helper. And so, of course, she just wants to help people. And that is a noble trait to have. So if you haven't listened to that one, you should definitely go back and listen to it. It's an interview. And <laughs> there are some people that thought it was really funny when I might try to chime in and then she would correct me. <laughs> and rightly so. It's not it's not as though she was being rude. It's sometimes I'm thick-headed, and so I'm going to take the blame for that. But thank you for checking this out. Today, we're going to talk about a famous passage from John's Gospel, and it's a somewhat of a controversial one in some sense because it's misunderstood. And so, let's see, what did I title this one? Oh, Way, Truth, Life. Because we're going to talk about that passage where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, get ready. We're going to do a little bit of scholarship. I have uh, some notes on each of those three words, and then I'd like to finish with a quote, if you don't mind. So, we're just going to have a good time. Hopefully, you can actually hear that there are some birds outside, and my windows are wide open because it's a beautiful day. So, why not? Am I right? So, Feel free to sit back or um, just pay attention as you're listening, and uh, I hope you enjoy this, all right? Let's talk about that famous passage, I am the way, the truth, and life. I'm going to read the whole passage, if you don't mind, all right? I'm going to start at uh, verse 1. So this is John chapter 14, 1 through 6, and John's gospel is... mm, It's unique, obviously. It's not like the others, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which all seem to look at Jesus with the same eye. The word for that is synoptic, one eye, synoptic, right? Right. But John's gospel looks at Jesus in a completely different way. And, And that means that John says things in a very different manner than everyone else. There is somewhat of a different symbolism or hermeneutic, a means of interpretation that John's gospel demands because it's looking at Jesus from a different way. So, I'm going to start at verse 1. It will sound very familiar, but uh, hopefully by the end of all of this, you will feel like you just heard this passage for the first time all new. 
Does it make sense? You follow me? You with me? Let's do this. Um, I'm going to read it from this one side. Here we go. Verses 1 through 6. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you that I'd go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also, and you know the way to the place where I am going. Pause. That's just the first four verses. Now, some people interpret this to be... Mm, about afterlife, about heaven, that Jesus' reference there to his father's house means heaven. However, in the Gospels, we actually have Jesus talking about his, quote, father's house. When he's 13, he runs away from his family's caravan in Jerusalem, and he says that the, the passage says that he stole away to his father's house, which meant the temple. It meant that he stole away to go to the sacred place of worship because that's where he wanted to be. That's where he needed to be. So how amazing this preteen <laughs> or early teenager actually found himself saying, I need to be in my father's house. I need to be in the sacred space. Whoa. Right. But um, we miss something when we think that passages like this are just about the future, we kind of miss a few nuances. So let's say Jesus was actually meaning the temple of his day. That means that he wants to go to the temple and create some extra rooms on the side of the temple so that everyone can be there. Because the temple of his day was rather, shall we say, exclusionary? Only the most devout Jewish people were allowed into the innermost parts of the temple. And it seems as though in these first four verses, Jesus seems to want to start to undo that exclusionary part because he wants to build more rooms so that there's more room for people in, quote, his father's house. Now, how brilliant is it that a carpenter says he wants to go build something on the side of the temple so that more people can be there. You see what I mean? Now we're starting to play with uh, the passage a little bit. And what I think is still an orthodox way, when you say that this Jewish carpenter wants to build some additions on the Jewish temple so that more people can be a part of it. Huh. Now, then Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I am going. And uh, these disciples, they often seem rather thick-headed, don't they? Just like me. Anyways, this is verse 5 and verse 6, and you will certainly recognize them. All right. It goes like this. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. See, they didn't even maybe know that he was talking about the temple and wanting to expand the exclusionary parts. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Excuse me. And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. So you could put this in like another category of instances where Jesus answers the question that they weren't really asking. <laughs> he definitely answers with an answer that they, uh, that's still just as paradoxical. So in that sense, Jesus is definitely a classical rabbi, a wisdom teacher. Am I right? So let me put this to the side. I have my Greek translations right here, right in front of me. And put that to the side and uh, look at some of my notes. Because in, in Greek, which the New Testament was written in, especially John's gospel, um, Jesus says that he is the hadas, aletheia, and zoe. Which in Greek would be, I mean, sorry, in English, hadas means way, aletheia means truth, and zoe means life. So why does Jesus respond to Thomas's question by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life? And does it have a connection to the first four verses with wanting to build some extra rooms on the temple? Oh, you see what I mean? So it goes like this. Um, the Jewish focus is what happens right there when he says, I am the way in Jewish consciousness and their understanding of the good life, Torah was often referenced as the way the first five books of the Bible, all of the rules and regulations that make the Jewish people, the Jewish people, that's the way. So when you say Torah, most people interpret Torah meaning law, but actually another understanding of it is that Torah could be translated as the way. So here's Jesus doing something very interesting when he says, I am the way. I am the Torah. You're like, what is going on? This is way deeper than I thought. I don't think Jesus is talking about paths anymore. I'm not sure he's talking about road systems. He's certainly not talking about highways. Where is he? But he's right here talking to a Jewish mindset by saying, I am the way, the Hadas, the Torah, the law. You're like, what is going on? But then the second part where he says, I am the truth, that speaks to like Jewish, not Jewish, uh, sorry, Greek consciousness. Because the Greek mindset was all about philosophy and asking the question, what is truth? And in fact, later on in John's gospel, we have Pontius Pilate asking the question, what is truth? And Jesus just stands there silently right in front of him. So there's a play that's happening right here. And it's almost like Jesus is setting up, I am the way, the Torah, the law, and I am the truth, is what he says to the Greeks. Oh my gosh, you see what I mean? But then the next part, when he says, I am the Zoe, meaning I am the life. Now, this passage, this word shows up a few times in John's gospel. And sometimes it shows up with this other word, parasuo, which means um, often it's translated as everlasting, like everlasting life. But it actually more means abundant or exceeding beyond the limit or... Um, beyond the boundaries, life. So here's Jesus speaking to a Jewish consciousness by saying, I am the way. 
Here he is speaking to the Greek consciousness by saying, I am the truth. And then anyone else that doesn't fit in those two circumstances, hey, if you're interested in the abundant life, that's me. So when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, whoa, he's actually speaking to every kind of human being possible. You see, the way of Christ is the way. The truth is not a concept. Truth is a person. And let's be honest, who isn't just interested in a life that's exceeding beyond the limit, beyond the boundaries ever lasting? Yeah, maybe that is what that word means. So here we go. I have a question for you. In light of the first four verses where it says Jesus wants to go to the temple and build some extra rooms so that where I am, there you can also be, it sounds as though Jesus kind of wants to undo this exclusionary understanding of sacred space, that the Father's house should be attended by people who are not just Jewish, but maybe also the Greeks, and maybe also everyone else. You see, John 14.6 is often understood in an exclusionary rather than inclusive manner. Now, but I want to be careful, though, because Jesus does say, no one comes to the Father but by me, but he is the path for every type of human being, no matter what your worldview or consciousness or frame of understanding the good life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone can come by this one person to enter the, quote, Father's house. Oh, you see what I mean? This passage, which is often understood, and I've actually heard it too. Some pastors or people might say, Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. It's like, well, I recognize that, but when I see this passage, when you understand it in the context of Torah meant way and that the Greeks were interested in truth and everyone is interested in life, I kind of see this as Jesus being like a fisherman throwing a giant fishing net over the whole world saying, every type of person, I'm what you're looking for. Does that make sense? So in some sense, chapter 14 right here, verses 1 through 6, are exclusively inclusive. (laughs) Does that make sense? Inclusively exclusive. I don't know what you want to say, but it certainly is far more dynamic than just saying Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life, because he's speaking to every type of person saying, I'm what you're looking for. So I have just a few more notes, and then I'm going to read you a quote, if you don't mind. Okay. So I have some positive statements and then some negative statements, and maybe it'll help us to flesh this out. All right. So when Jesus says, I'm the way, it's a reference. Let's let's make a list here. Okay. So it has to do with Torah. Gotcha. Way. Yep. mm Mm-hmm. It's an Old Testament illusion. Yeah. Okay. Because it's to the Torah. It's to the Hebrew scriptures. Got it. It's a part of Hebrew consciousness. Got that. Okay. It is kind of a religious framework to use that language, to say way. That's that's true. 
It's not really about maps. It's not really about highways. It's not really about um, walkways. It's actually a religious term. You can either be on the way or off the way. It's a little bit ethical, yeah, because the Torah is concerned with ethics, right? It does have a little bit of like, um, there's like a wisdomness to it. There's a, a paradox to it. And, hmm, yeah. So let's go to the next one. Truth. Uh, it has to do with Greek consciousness. Got that. Okay. Yeah. It's a philosophical concept. Oh, okay. So the first one's religious way. Truth is a bit more philosophical, literal less religious. So I guess that means Jesus is attractive to not just religious folks, but philosophy, non-religious folks would be interested in Jesus. Okay. I got that. Oh, there's also the sense that truth liberates. It's in John's gospel. It says that uh, the truth will set you free. Oh, that once you come to know the truth, it will set you free from deceptions and dishonesty and lies. Okay, got that. That's interesting. It's a commitment to ideas. Mm. But its function is to, to discover reality. Okay, so maybe Jesus is saying, I am the deepest reality. I'm the truth behind and sustaining and within and upholding all things. Whoa. Okay. And lastly, the life. It's beyond expectations, beyond the limit. Yeah. It's about thriving. Oh yeah. It's about vitality. It's about health. Mm, It's about a quality of life, right? Well, that's interesting. So Hadas, Aletheia, and Zoe, the way, the truth, and the life. Got it. That's all positive understandings. So let's flip it. Let's do the inverse. What What's negative comments about each of those? Okay. Well, if you don't have a way, a truth, and a life, then that means you have no path. That means you're lost. You've got no direction, no compass, and no destination. <laughs> so if you're not on the way... Again, you, that means that you have no path, you're lost, you have no direction, no compass, and no destination. That sounds dreadful. Next up, what's the inverse, the opposite of truth? That would mean that you're living in unreality. That means you're a slave or you're oppressed by lies that are keeping you bound. There's deceit. There's mm, a faulty perspective If you don't have truth, you have a faulty perspective on everything. And then last, if you don't have life, then that just means you've got death or you have decay or you've got a diminished life that's not thriving at all. So what we have here is a brilliant passage, John 14, 1 through 6, where Jesus says, as a carpenter slash rabbi... I'm going to go to the Father's house and build some extra rooms because we need to get more people into this sacred space. Wow. And then Jesus does this really crazy thing by answering the question that Thomas wasn't really asking when he answers with, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father by me. You see, some people focus on that last part. No one comes to the Father by me. And they kind of overlook the fact that Jesus is making himself universally attractive to the Jew, the Greek, 
and any other type of person. So this passage, you almost can't um, minimize it or diminish it into just being inclusive or just being exclusive because the Christ is actually ready and willing to be whatever you need them to be, no matter what background you come from, whether you're a Jew or a Greek or anything else, the Christ is willing and able to be the Christ to you. So I have this book here, and this is the quote that we'll finish with. This is from Leslie Newbegin, who was a missiologist, which meant he was very much interested in how does Christianity relate to the world and especially to the other world religions. And as I was writing notes for this one, I happened to remember this paragraph that he wrote in this book. It's about halfway through. It's in this book called The Gospel in a Pluralist Society. Um, And it's a whole paragraph about how Christianity is inclusively exclusive and exclusively inclusive. Right? Because it's not either or, it's somehow a hybrid that transcends above those two distinctions. So I would love to read it to you, and then we'll wrap it up, and we'll be done for the day. Does that sound good? Hopefully, we've already given you uh, a fresh take on way, truth, and life. You ready? Here we go. This is from The Gospel in a Pluralistic Society by Leslie Newbegin. He, He says... It has become customary to classify views on the relation of Christianity to the world religions as either pluralist, exclusivist, or inclusivist. The three positions being typically represented by John Hick, Hendrik Kramer, and Karl Rahner. Karl Rahner is legit. Here we go. The position which I have outlined is exclusive in the sense that it affirms the unique truth of the revelation in Jesus Christ. But it is not exclusivist in the sense of denying the possibility of salvation of the non-Christian. It is inclusivist in the sense that it refuses to limit the saving grace of God to the members of the Christian church. But it rejects the inclusivism which regards the non-Christian religions as vehicles of salvation. It is pluralist in the sense that acknowledging the gracious work of God in the lives of all human beings, but it rejects a pluralism which denies the uniqueness and decisiveness of what God has done in Jesus Christ. You see, I've made this comment um, in different ways um, to different people, but I it's almost like Jesus is too beautiful to be held by just one denomination of Christianity. It's not as though the Catholics got Jesus all correct, or it's not as though the Protestants do, or the Eastern Orthodox, or someone else. It's that Jesus is too beautiful to be held in complete totality by just one denomination, so that you have to work together. It's like this inclusivism of all of these perspectives through this exclusive understanding of there is only one way to understand God, and it's by looking at Jesus. Does that make sense? So what's fascinating about 
the Bible, when you start to study it and you look at it in its original languages and contexts, you start to see that our simplistic understandings of these passages really don't do honor to the mystery and the paradox of what's really being said. So I think what could be great is I'm going to finish by reading those verses again. We did at the beginning. We'll do so now. But the thing is, maybe this time, these passages will stand out just a little differently than they did before when we first read them. Because we just had like a little journey through them. Let me open up to it. Here we go. This is John 14. And then we'll finish with a quick benediction and then we'll be good. Here we go. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And actually, verse 7 also says this. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So, what shall we say for a benediction? May you, the listener, find the Christ present to you and being exactly what you need. Whether you are someone that is concerned with finding out what is the way to the good life, whether or not you're somebody who just wants to know the truth about reality, or if you are someone that just wants to have the life that's overflowing and abundant and exceeding beyond the limit, may you find Christ already present in your life and ready and willing to build an addition onto his father's house just for you. May you be blessed by this knowledge and may you somehow embody the goodness of the way, the truth, and the life in your very actions and words today. Thank you for checking this out. May grace and peace be with you.